0: And at night, it's just like probably 40 degrees. I'm freezing. I don't have a shirt on. I got sweaty shorts, freezing. And that was the first time in my life that I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna quit. Like I was at mile 70. And I was like, I'm gonna quit. This is dumb. Like, why would I do this? And I went and sat down by the fire at one of the aid stations. And I was like, no, like, i am never quit. That's dumb. Like, why would I do that? Like, there's 30 miles left. Like, I'm just gonna go for it and went for it and then finished, you know, cross that finish line and just being like, as the happiest that, you know, I'd ever been, but same thing, it was a curiosity, because on that race, someone told me about 200-mile races.
1: Hey.
2: Welcome to the Sonica Project, hosted by myself, Travis Marshall, and Pat Forstall. The purpose of our show is to talk with those that have inspired us and discuss challenges in life, past and present. We hope these stories push you to chase new challenges and press on. Overall, we hope to build a community that lives out our mantra of someday never comes. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the show. Team Sonico, appreciate you guys joining us again. Uh special guest today, Keith Eck, a buddy of ours from the Academy Days, uh previous to us at the Academy. But um I would go through all of his accolades, but I think it's best if we just jump right into it. And I mean, looking at the looking at the the list of stuff that he's accomplished in the past couple of years is quite astonishing. So Keith, appreciate you being on thank you for your time and uh, we look forward to talking with you today.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me dudes. Yeah, I
1: guess maybe to start it off, um, and you can kind of go as far back as you want, but I'd love to hear like kind of pre-academy, like what got you there in the first place.
0: Yeah, man. Um, So I grew up in Chandler, Arizona and, uh, you know, I, I grew up playing a ton of sports, you know, baseball, football, uh, you know, basketball, soccer, all that stuff. And then as I started to get older and into high school, you know, I, I didn't grow anymore and I'm really short. And so some of those sports just weren't really fitting me. And uh I decided freshman year of high school that I wanted to give wrestling a shot. And um immediately I loved it. It was um, you know, it's different from the other sports. I felt like you had to you had, the harder you worked, the you know, the more results that you saw. You didn't have to be a good athlete. You know, you just had to, you know, your work ethic really kind of dictated how well you did and Um, I took to it really well and had a a great wrestling coach in high school. Um, and it was actually my high school wrestling coach who pointed me to the direction of the Naval Academy. Um, both of his brothers went there. One of them, one of his brothers went on to become an admiral. And, um, so it was just like, you know, as, as I was starting to get older, sophomore in high school, junior in high school, he kept talking to me about the Naval Academy and, um, I knew I wanted to go to college and I knew I wanted to join the military being from Arizona um, you know, Pat Tillman's a hero, you know, football player, you know, played for Arizona state then went to play for the Arizona Cardinals and then joined the army after nine 11. Uh, so he's just a big part of Arizona and, and he was a hero of mine. And, you know, it was him that kind of, uh, the way he lived his life was the way I was the reason I wanted to join the military. And I had this high school wrestling coach point me to the Naval Academy and, you know, I, I applied and, you know, thankfully I got in, I ended up going to naps, the prep school and, um, continued wrestling from there and and made my way to Annapolis after that.
1: So you, so you went on to wrestle at Navy?
0: I did. Yeah. I wasn't good. I was a practice scrub and, you know, I I walked on the team from NAPS. So I went to NAPS and was able to be on the team at NAPS and, and then coach Burnett came down and basically told us, yeah, if you guys walk on, you'll likely make the team and walked on, made the team. And I was, you know, third string practice scrub. That just got beat up every day. But I, you know, I think that benefited me a lot, um, you know, going towards the future that I've had now. Dude, a lot I, of lessons. I,
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: I will absolutely like, I will like light up whenever I talk to someone who's like says they wrestle, like either in through high school or college, like, there's just something about you guys. Like it's just a different breed of people. And, and I think at the Academy, because it's a smaller group of people, like as a class, like you get to kn- know a lot of wrestlers, so you get to learn about them. But like, I, mean, I don't know, can you maybe talk about kind of becoming a wrestler and like that, I kind of, I guess going into that, uh, group of people, like, did you pretty quickly like kind of buy into that culture and become like, you know what it is?
0: Definitely. I mean, like the first, my first high school wrestling practice, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done to that point, my freshman year in high school. And I remember my dad picked me up after practice and I immediately was like, Oh, that was so hard. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. And he looked at me and kind of sarcastically was like, well then quit. And I was like, knew that wasn't going to happen. And that wasn't the answer. And so I was like, okay, cool. Like, I got used to that, okay, this sport's going to be hard and it's going to test me every day, but I I like that feeling. Um, and I wasn't, you know, in, in high school, I was a mediocre wrestler. I was okay in the state of Arizona, like one regions and placed at state, but I wasn't like the, the a great Arizona high school wrestler. Um, but because I think that I was able to go to the prep school, um, and we had such a really good team my year at the prep school. And I made that team, um, and those, you know, iron sharpens iron. And, you know, I wasn't any near as good as those guys, but they brought me up to their level, just practicing with them every day and, and learning things. So by the time I actually got to the Academy, um, you know, I was able to hold my own. Definitely. I mean, you know, it was my first day, you know, when you're in high school wrestling, you hear about how tough the jump to college wrestling is and you hear how tough the kids are and everyone's good. There is no scrub on the team that you can just beat up. I became that guy for everyone else, but you know it was um, so. Yeah, the first day of wrestling practice was intimidating. Coach Burnett, Naval Academy's coach at the time, coached the Olympic team in, in the past, and so everyone he was a great coach. We had great wrestlers, uh, but everyone welcomed you in. You know, they saw that you worked hard and they saw your work ethic, and immediately they like you know you were in the group. And um, you know, I I tell people all the time that you know I'm super thankful I've gone to the Naval Academy. It was hard. I you know I didn't do great at school and. But if it wasn't for the wrestling team, you know, maybe I wouldn't, I wouldn't have lasted there.
2: You know, I, I had a, uh, my senior year, good friend of mine, also roommate Corey Wilding. He was the captain yep. uh, of our of the wrestling team this senior year. But he, uh, dude, I remember talking to him about some of the workouts you guys would do. And then he'd be like, Oh, let's, let's do like a little, you know, circuit over in the wrestling room. I'm like, all right, sounds good. We walk back there. There's that little sauna to the left i'm not sure if that was there when you were there i'm guessing it was and there's like six dudes in there like doing burpees like assault bike it's like 190 degrees i'm like all right these guys are savages but i mean that that taught that speaks to the the kind of mentality that you guys had
0: yeah man everyone was like that so that just became the norm it became the norm of you know, if you didn't work hard, someone was going to beat you up and, you know, you didn't want to get beat up in practice. So it was just like, Hey, get with the program and, you know, get on the train or get off. And, you know, I, I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't the greatest wrestler and, you know, academically I struggled. So sophomore year, I barely, you know, I wasn't even on the team. It was just like, Hey, like you got to get your grades up. And, you know, but that, but it was able you know, being around those guys and being able to go to practices, that's what, like, you know, I mean, really made me who I am. I, I really, you know, I credit wrestling. I credit the sport of wrestling with everything. And I I just got my nephew, he's seven. I just got him, I signed him up. I was like, I told my stepsister, I was like, I'll pay for, you know, I'll pay for the shoes. I'll pay for the entire season. Like, I just, you know, I try to push, you know, everyone in the sport of wrestling. Cause I just, it, it was a great thing for me. And it's done great for a lot of people. And that's just sports in general. But for me, I'm just like a little bit closer to the sport of wrestling.
2: I love yeah. that. Do you, do you think the lessons you learned, during the right, like on the wrestling team in Navy kind of pushed you to do the whole list of crazy shit that you're doing now and like continue to do?
0: Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, my goal was in high school was to wrestle in college. And like I said, I wasn't a good wrestler um, in high school. I was, I was your, I was your average high school wrestler, like good enough to beat some good guys at times and also lose to those good guys at times. But um, you know, I, th- I think, and I'd learned from early on through the sport of wrestling, like you got to set goals that kind of are, scare you a little bit. And, um, I think that goal to wrestle in college is, I mean, I remember the first day of high school or college wrestling practice, it was terrifying, like, but I'd set that goal to wrestle in college and now I'm here actually doing it. Um, and, you know, setting goals that scare you, I think helped me. And, and I did that in wrestling. And then that I think was like kind of the snowball effect into like some of the other things I've done. You know these you know long distance races or long distance swims or whatever it is like you know I want to set goals that scare me a little bit and I think it's because of wrestling like you know I like in my senior year of high school like I set the goal like hey I'm gonna be a state placer you know and that was a scary goal because the year before I didn't even you know I went 0 and 2 at the state tournament it just did terrible so it was a kind of setting these goals and and just seeing hard work pay off and you know and learning that hey if I set hard goals that scare me a little bit I'm gonna push out of my comfort zone I'm gonna work a little bit harder and the harder I work, the more that I see, you know, I, that I can achieve these goals. So I do, I do credit wrestling with that.
1: Oh, I guess maybe, maybe this is, even something to come back to, but it's, it's funny you bring that up. Cause I, I had a, on my run this morning. I feel like I had a similar train of thought where I was kind of thinking back to like setting, like, you know, why I like to set goals. And also, so I'm, a, I'm like, toward, I'm tapering right now for a marathon mm-hmm. and, you know, you kind of get to taper and people talk about how like the pursuit and like the buildup is like so much of it. Like once you run the race, the race itself is almost kind of like, uh, like, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious if you, if you've been able to like feel content in some of these, you know, big races and stuff you've done, or if you've kind of been like, shoot now that it's over, like what's next.
0: It's the latter that you just said. It's always shoot what's next. And sometimes I'm like, damn, like, am I ever going to feel content in this? And, and it's likely not, you know, I, when i've done some of these long races and we can get into somewhat of whatever the races are but you know i in my mind i was in they get to the finish line and there was was gonna be this eureka moment like i'm enlightened like holy shit like this is awesome this is exactly the feeling i wanted but you get to the end you're like okay cool like yeah i'm happy that i did the training i'm happy that i set the goal but you know maybe i can push a little bit farther and what's next like maybe i can go a little bit faster maybe i can shave five minutes off or maybe i can do a longer race but that feeling of content, like, you know, that's just kind of resting on your laurels. And it's just like I, the moment you do that, you know, you plateau and you and I just you don't gain anything anymore. And that's that could be physically or it could be with, you know, academically with school. You're like, hey, you know, I got my undergrad. That's enough. Like, I don't need to go get a postgrad or something like that. But, yeah, I think um, definitely like, you know, I, I it is the latter of that, that, you know, I I don't think I'll, I don't know if I'll ever feel content. Like I finish a race. And I'm like, okay, I got to do something. I got to do something harder. I got to do something that challenged me just a little bit more. Um, and that applies to everything in life. Like, I, you know, it's, maybe it's, maybe I'm getting challenged. Maybe these races are becoming just, you know, I don't want to say easy, but I just know what's going to happen. I understand I've done it for years. Like maybe the new challenge is, you know, reading more books a year or something like that. But yeah, there's, that feeling of the, crossing that finish line and not feeling content, I think is common with a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I agree. I guess uh, I'd be curious to hear, you know, when you got to Navy, did you, how, like how early on did you know you wanted to go the SEAL route? Did wrestling kind of influence at all? I'd love to hear about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Real early on. I mean, actually in high school, I mean, probably, I mean, Lone Survivor came out when I was a sophomore in high school and I read the book and it was just like, wow, I never, I mean, and then, you know, Discovery Channel had on like, you know, class 234 following Navy SEALs through training. And that was just like, it blew my mind. I was like, what is this? Like, you know, I'd never seen anything like it. Um, you know, and then just that influence of Pat Tillman to join the military. And then I see, you know, I read Lone Survivor. I see these, you know, I, I watch class 234 on Discovery Channel. And, and then I got my high school wrestling coach saying, hey, go to Navy. Um, so I knew, I mean, like from sophomore year, high school, junior year, high school, I was like, yeah, I, I'd like to join the Navy and, you know, try to become a SEAL. And then once, and then, and then it just so happened that, especially my year, class of 2014, Almost every other, you know, every guy on the wrestling team also wanted to become a seal and go to buds and and do all that. So it was, you know, we all just kind of like we we all fed off that, and it was like someone's like, "Hey, I'm going to the pool to swim." It's like we're all going too, you know. And it was just like, you know, my my graduating class of 2014, the guys that wrestled, I want to say there was nine of us that got bud slots. So yeah. it was yeah. huge. That's
2: sick.
1: That's um, awesome.
2: Yeah. if uh, Travis, you got anything? Yeah. Uh during during buds i mean obviously there was like the physical challenge the mental challenge was it the and i talked to a lot of the guys around here luckily i have like a bunch of good roommates a couple of them yeah. are seals and we all talk about the community and yeah. you know you you t- you touched on it with the wrestling team but i'm sure the community once you're in buds and then going through the seal pipeline was extraordinary and like did that push you on and did that keep your, your drive going for it?
0: Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I don't know if you guys are familiar too much with my story, but I, I went to Bud's um, in December of 2014 um, and I stayed in the Navy until November of 2016. And that entire time I was at Bud's, so was two years Then I ended up getting medically disqualified from the Navy. I had a lung issue. I, I got, I got disqualified from, from diving. Um, and I, I ended up going through three hell weeks and was in a, a fourth Bud's class after that. And, um so but 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 I was there for so long that I made so many friends uh um you know I mean like I would still be in you know I'd have buddies in SQT and I'm still like the lowest of the low just like you know rolling in sand um and you know but that and I some of my best friends to this day I I went to I've been to two weddings this year um you know in the weddings and both those guys one of them um I met at Bud's and one of them I uh, met at the Naval Academy and, you know, he's still in the Navy. He's at 04 um, in the teams. And it's just like, you know, but, but those friendships, you know, doing hard things with your friends, doing miserable things, not just hard, but doing things that are absolutely miserable with your friends, like just builds that camaraderie so much tighter. And I mean, you guys see it through sports that you played at the Academy and it's just like, those are your buddies for life. Like, you know, guys that you played sports with and the guys that you were in the Marine Corps with or in the Navy with. Um, But yeah, especially at Bud's where it's just like, every day sucks. Um, and every day is hard. Um, you know, you you know, misery loves company. And so you're like, you know, at the end of the day, you're just like talking with your buddies in the pit, which is like the area everyone hangs out, like how, you know, shitty that day was, but it just makes you that much tighter. Um, and those are like the bonds that you'll like in those stories you'll never forget, you know? And, um, I really enjoyed my time at Buzz. I'm thankful for everything that happened to me there. And, And that even, you know, building off of what I learned in the sport of wrestling and then going to Bud's and, you know, being at Bud's for two years and, you know, being a, you know, a boat team, a boat crew leader and assistant officer in charge and all this stuff at that time. Like, you know, it just, it built me even further into like the, like kind of the adventure racing that I got into after the Navy.
1: You might have kind of something. a, uh, sorry, yeah.
0: I got, I got kind of a tough
2: question, but, you know, you, you built this, you built this up the entire time you wanted to go seals like you know yeah you, that was like that was your goal I would, I would like to hear like the letdown yeah and then how you handled that and then how you bounced back from that
0: it was um so let the letdown was huge I remember at the time um I three of my buddies um three of my two of my college roommates who, went, who ended up getting seal and, and another guy another buddy of ours um they had all graduated just got their tridents and, and um, went east coast and, um, three of my other buddies who were enlisted guys ended up coming and living with me. And I'll, I'll never forget that morning is my, I, you know, I just done my fourth class and I, I got sick again and I was coughing up blood and, um, I met with the captain of buds at the time. And he's like, all right. Cause he was on, he kept rolling me. And actually my last class, like they, they even gave me, I don't want to say some like special treatment, but I was able to miss two weeks of training and then just jumped right to this portion, um, of training. And so. And then I got, you know, I got started coughing up blood again. I had a problem with my lungs. And um, so the CEO was going to meet with me that day, like 06 in the Navy, captain of, 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 um, buds. And, um, my roommates at the time knew and they were all in SQT. They were all like, you know, doing the fun stuff that everyone wants to do. And they're like, you know, we heard your meeting, like what's going to happen. I was like, I don't know. And I came home and they were all like, what happened? What happened? Did you get a role? And I was like, no, I got dropped. And I'm going to get medically dropped from the Navy. And I, you know, like, trying to hold back tears because that's like all you ever wanted to do, you know, it's all I ever wanted to do. And, um, and it was like, absolutely like, like it was just heartbreaking, you know, and all my buddies like, you know, I'm getting ready to get out of the Navy and they're waking up in the morning to like go to jump school or go do something cool, you know? And it's just like, so that it, it was really tough. And the bounce back for me was, it was, I remember being like, okay, like I can, you know, this is, I can just like be upset and like be like, "Woe is me? And this sucks. And, you know, I, my goals were taken away and all this and, you know, or I can, you know, set new goals and immediately was like, okay, I got to start writing a new chapter of my book of life and, and set new goals. And that's kind of where ultra running took place. And it was, and I was a little like, almost like I was mad at the Navy because I thought I was fine. Um, I mean, I wasn't, um, but I was like, okay, if they don't think I can do this stuff, I'm going to start running really far. Like, that's kind of where my head was at the time. Um, and so it was, you know, okay. I'm, and it was hard because like I said, like, I'm, it's thrown in my face every day. All my buddies are going to jump school or they're going to graduate and they're getting their tridents and they're getting their teams that they're going to. And I'm like, you know, transitioning out of the Navy. And so it was in my, I see every day, it was tough, but it was just like, okay, I can't, that's done. Now I got to move on to something else um and that's when it was like okay I started really researching running far like ultra races ultra marathons and you know I signed up for a 50 mile race and that was kind of just like the catalyst to everything I've ever done since was was that initial race and you know and and, but it it was cool because all the guys that I like all the dudes that I I was training with or you know in, in the pipeline with were also like interested in what I was doing too it was like oh that was like they they Found what I was doing cool. I'm like, well, I, I think what you guys are doing is really cool. And like, oh, you know, you're doing solid stuff too. And um, so that was kind of like, and I don't want to say like um that made me feel better, but it was just like cool that hey, you know, my friends still like I'm still their friend. You know, yeah. it's not they're not like, hey, dude, you're not in the pipeline anymore. See you later. We're not friends anymore. Like I was in one of those dudes' wedding that I told that day that I got dropped out of the Navy, you know. Um, and so it was uh it was that, that's what it was for me. It was just closing the book on the whole buds thing, the whole seal thing. Like, Hey, that's over, you know, now what can I do with my life? Because even like, I was like, I can either live a really boring life and just do something that's not fun. And, or I can try to find some cool stuff to do. that still like, g- gives me that edge. Like, you know, you guys are running marathons now. And it's like, you know, you got to find something that's just outside of your life a little bit outside of going to work nine to five. Like, and so that's what it was for me. It was just say, like, okay, what else can I do? Can't do the seal thing. That's fine. I mean, I feel like I'd say two weeks, I was, like, really pissed, real upset. And then I was, like, okay, cool, I got to move on. And that's immediately signed up for a race and started moving on. It's yeah. funny you
2: say that. I uh, Like, my story with football is very similar. Not, like, not going to Bud's, but, like, I went to, uh, you know, my whole goal was to, like, play football at the academy. I yeah. was like, that's all I wanted to do. And I was finally at the academy, almost to the point where I could start, and then shoulder injuries, shoulder yeah. injuries, shoulder injuries. And then I remember the sitting at the practice in the bleachers and I just came back from uh approach mid, which is like the summer training for us, and shoulder popped out and coach Neimak comes up to me and he goes, Travis, you're done. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and he's really sincere about it, and I really appreciate him about it. But I remember there was like there was a good like two to three weeks where I just felt like shattered. Yep. And in that moment I was like, I gotta figure out what else to do. And I started coaching with the team. And I did a very similar thing where I just took to running and I, I joined the track team and then that's carried me all the way to now. So yeah. pretty, pretty cool that it's uh it's always, it always comes back to running, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's just a million things that, you know, you can do, but I think running is one of the easiest Just Hey, all right, I got to go out and it, it, I think, you know, and I tell a lot of people this like running just helps clear your mind. Like, it's just like, you know, it's almost like a, a therapeutic thing to do. And, and outdoor recreational therapy is one of the things like, you know, if you get out and run, it's just so therapeutic. And, you know, maybe he's like, okay, let me, I, it's time to think. There's nothing else bothering me. I'm just going to focus on my running, my breathing. And, but yeah, man, I, I know that shattered feeling because it, it sucks. But, you know, you can either, you know, cry about it and woe is me, or you can, you know, move on. And I mean, you have to, you, you have to move on, or you just sit there and you're going to, you know, be rudderless. Um, on a boat, you know, in the middle of the sea, just floating, doing nothing. So
1: how, how soon after you, uh, you know, found out you're going to get processed out. You said about two weeks later, you signed up for a race. When was that first race? Like how far out was it? And
0: Yeah. So that first race was in. Man, it had to be March of 2016 because I, w- I was still in the Navy going through my out processing um, or maybe May 2016. So I was still in the Navy going through out processing. And there was a guy, um, a buddy of mine who he was like also kind of like interested in this ultra running thing. And he's like, hey, man, here's a race. Let's sign up for it. And I was like, all right. And at the time I was like, you know, I didn't know anything about ultra running at all. Like I didn't, I never even run a marathon. Like I didn't know anything about running. You know, I I didn't understand what the, what the you know, I didn't look at the course map. I didn't look at anything about this race. I let my buddy plan the entire thing, the training, the food. I didn't have a car. I'd sold my truck. I had all I had was a bicycle. And, uh, and so, actually, no, I just, got not, I just got out of the Navy. That's why I sold my truck. So maybe it was May of 2017 or March 2017. And I'd sold my truck. I was working in Coronado for some, you know, businessman. And I'd ride my bike in from Imperial Beach every day. And, you know, once the training was going the, the day before the race, um, my buddy got super sick and ended up like something with his appendix, he got really sick. He couldn't run the race. And I had been telling this new boss of mine that I was like, Hey, I'm going to go run this 50 mile race. Not really. Pr- I don't know anything about it, but I've been training. Um, and then the, the day before the race, the race was on a Saturday. It was that Friday. My buddy texts me, Hey man, I can't run the race. I'm so sorry. And then my boss like a little bit later is like, Hey, you're doing that 50 mile race tomorrow. Are you ready? And I was like, no, my buddy canceled. I don't even have a car. I can't get up there. And I was working for this wealthy businessman in Coronado. And he's like, Oh, you can take my car. And he drove a Maserati. And so I was like, okay, (laughs) thanks. So I drove up there in the Maserati, the last like two miles of the drive were all off road. And, uh, I was just like, well, I'll wash the car when I'm done. But, um, yeah, did, did that race, not knowing anything, totally unprepared. Um, I forgot to watch, I didn't have headphones, um, I was wearing like street running shoes and it was a really technical trail race. It was a 50 miler. Um, they don't run it anymore. It's called the old goat 50 miler. And there's like 14,000 feet of vert and, and 50 miles. And um, I didn't, ha- I didn't have the right pack fluids, anything. I borrowed the pack from my buddy. Cause I didn't, I didn't have anything. I just went to his house the day before the race, grabbed all the stuff Friday evening and drove up early Saturday morning. Um, and yeah, it was just, uh, but, but it, I finished it. And like, to me, that was cool. Was, like, Oh man, I, I, cause I, the whole time I was afraid. I'm like, dude, I don't know anything about this. I don't know what the course looks like. I don't have the map on my phone. I was just following other people and like following trail markers. And when I finished, my feet were so swollen, black and blue. I'd rolled my ankle a bunch of times. Um, but I was like stoked. I was like, damn, like that was cool. Like that was cool. And on the ride back, I remember thinking like, you know, cause I was, the race was near LA in the mountains of LA, like just to the East of LA. And I was driving back to San Diego, just like, on cloud nine. Couldn't believe what I just did. Like I came to that. I ran 50 miles. Um, and thinking like, I was just so beat up. Like how do people run 100 miles? Like that's impossible, but it was that new goal. It was like, okay, cool. I, I did the 50 mile. I'm happy with my results, but I'm not content in stopping there. I got to see what's, you know, around the next corner. And so that's where the hundred miles started. And then from there I got into 200 mile races and 300 mile races. And then it was just all that would spend, you know, because of my one buddy kind of really like, all right, cool, let's do this. And he kind of made me put my money where my mouth was. I was like, yeah, I'm ready to start doing stuff post buds. Let's go do something. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. And from there that was just like, I fell in love with it. Yeah,
1: that's so savage. <clears throat> and it's sick to hear that. Like you immediately <laughs> were like, let's do it again. And Travis. Yeah. I feel like I know why Travis is laughing. So tra- Travis and I did a 50 miler in September. of uh-huh. last. It was our first 50 miler and, uh, we did like rim to rim to rim in the Grand canyon back in i've done that yeah we're, it's we're, awesome yeah, yeah we, we, we we think very highly of it um but dude during the 50 miler like i mean, I, yeah we, and i'd say we were a little more prepared the only thing we weren't prepared in like day of travis and i were sitting on the bus like going to the trail like trail start and we like googled like how to run a 50 miler because we knew there's probably like a strategy like you Know Travis is a savage. I knew Travis would just go out and like run 50 miles and I'd be like, dude, I can't run 50 miles straight. So I was like, we well, probably need to break it up or do something. So we were trying to strategize, but yeah, dude, the 50 mile or kick my butt. And
0: that was like half the vert of what you just said. Ours was like seven K of, of Vert. Um that one's tough because once I mean it's straight up. Once you like leave the canyon, you straight up go back to the North Rim or the South Rim, it's they're straight up yeah that yeah that
1: yeah the 50 the miler we did was in georgia in september yeah but the the yeah the canyon and when we did it the north rim was like shut down because of some washout so we couldn't even do the whole thing we uh-huh. just turned around as far up as we could we came up south uh kibab which was probably just, like a mistake it was middle of the day and then we ran across the top just to get <laughs> some extra mileage and to kind of yeah. make ourselves feel better not about not doing the whole thing but yeah that was like straight up it was it was
0: gnarly yeah, man, I, that the rim to rim to rim is hard. And then even a 50 like any 50 mile is hard. Like that's just a hard distance. If you're not, in that time on your feet, you, you're not used to it. And like every, you know, your feet are swollen and you're, you know, you're getting blisters and your nails are falling off. But like, you know, like I'm sure you guys loved it. You know, you finish the race and or you finish the run or whatever and grab a beer and a, you know, big burger or pizza or something. And it's just like, you could sit down and relax. And like, that's yeah. the cool part of the ultra running that yeah. I really love is, is the, that's weird to say my favorite to the end, but yeah, I, I love it. Yeah.
1: Like that feeling of like accomplishment is uh, yeah. it, like, and like you said, it's not a contentment. Cause you're always like, well, shoot, like if I if I could do that, what's next. But yeah, yeah my, my kind of story with I like crossed the finish line, it was like, you know, I'll sleep on it, but I don't know if I ever want to do that again. And you know, I'm glad I slept on it because like a couple of days later, I, I was like ready to do another one. And, you know, I ended up signing up for this marathon and I'm interested in doing an ultra again in the future here, but I don't, I don't know what it's going to be. But for you to be like, I'm ready. To, like, I want to do a hundred next. Like that's, that's pretty savage.
0: Yeah. I appreciate that, man. It was, and it, it was cool. And like, you know, I did, I, I shortly after I signed up for a hundred miler and, um, it's a race in Arizona called Javelina 100. Yeah. And, uh, that was Cool, because like I didn't know how to train, I didn't know how to do anything. I mean, I there's things called drop bags. I didn't know what a drop bag was. Like I didn't know any of that. All I done is one fifty mile that my buddy prepared me for, and I go do a hundred mile a couple of months later. Don't know anything about it. Don't know what a drop bag is, and it's where you just kind of put your supplies and you know you have all this stuff. Because it was, it was a 20, 20 mile loop. You can do it five times, and like you, at the couple of state at a couple of the aid stations, you can have gear. I didn't have any of that. I ran the whole race shirtless. I was super sunburned. Um, and then it's it in the desert of Arizona and at nighttime it gets really cold and I grew up in Arizona I should have known that and at night it's just like probably 40 degrees I'm freezing I don't have a shirt on I got sweaty shorts freezing and that was the first time in my life that I was like you know what I'm just gonna quit like I was at mile 70 and I was like I'm gonna quit this is dumb like why would I do this and I went and sat down by the fire at one of the aid stations and I was like no like I've never quit that's dumb like why would i do that like I, there's 30 miles left like i'm just gonna go for it and went for it and then finished you know cross that finish line and just being like as the happiest that you know i'd ever been but same thing it was a curiosity because on that race someone told me about 200 mile races so i was like damn like <laughs> i'm dead on this one like how does someone do 200 mile races and you know they just developed um the bigfoot 200 and the moab 240 and in tahoe 200 these, these races that this person on the run was telling me about so like I get to the finish line and and there wasn't a feeling of like, oh, I'm content. It was like, damn, people do 200. I got to see what this is like. And that's kind of, that's how I got into 200s next.
2: What's funny to me is ultra, ultra finish lines are kind of the saddest thing of all time. They really are, man. It's like 10 people standing around, usually like some sort of stage or blow up something. They're like, Travis Marshall crossing.
0: Yeah. A couple, people clap. a couple of people look up as people really like the people that just finished or falling asleep in the chair. Like <laughs> you know, just looking miserable. Like, why did I do that? You're right. It is the saddest place, man. Um, that's, that's a great observation, but I think, you know, like, you know, even the runners, everyone looks sad, but like deep down, you're like stoked. Like, you know, I did that. You know, you're happy about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So after that
0: hundred miler, so did you go back and sign up for one of the 200? I did. I, and, and I, at the time I, So when I got out of the Navy, I, you know, I don't know if, you know, you guys know this, but I'll say to people who don't at the Naval Academy, they have a thing called the um, uh, service Academy. What is it called? The service Academy career convention. Yeah. Right. I don't know if you guys ever ever went to it. all, All these businesses are there and there's a bunch of like, you know, junior officers or people that are getting out of the Navy and they're kind of helping you get a job. And I, I, I went to the one in San Diego and I got some job offer in San in San Francisco, and um, it was like some middle management job that I was like not stoked on. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. Um, and uh, or the OIC of, of first phase of buds had introduced me to this guy that he knew in in Coronado, and I'd kind of have you know weekly meetings with this guy, just talk about what I want might want to do in the future. This guy was just a businessman, um, real successful guy. And, um, I told him, like, yeah, man, I got this job in San Francisco, but I really don't want to leave. All my friends are here and all this stuff. And he's like, Well, I can offer you an internship that pays you. He he paid me like two grand a month. It was nothing, right? You know, and when you're making oh one money in the Navy, it's a decent amount of money. And so I decided to not take that job in San Francisco and take that um, you know, just kind of internship to learn from this guy. And um, I ended sti- I ended up sticking with him for three years and just it was epic. And, you know, I I learned so much about life and you know, business. And it was like, you know, NBA on the spot type thing. And, um, but I, he, like, you know, he wasn't paying me a lot of money, but I wasn't working a, a lot for him. I wasn't doing a lot of things. And, um, and I just finished that hundred mile race. And he's the same guy that let me drive his Maserati to that 50 miler. Um, I told him about these 200 mile races and I was like, yeah, you know, I want to do them. And it's something called the triple crown. And you, you do one a month for three months in a row. And, he was like, wow, that's really cool. Is you going to do it? And I was like, to be honest, no, I, I can't afford it. It's really, it was expensive, you know, with the travel and getting the races and the hotel room before and after the race. And he's like, Oh dude, let's put it on my credit card. Let's do it. And I was just like, so blown away by his like, awesome. you know, you know, how much he wanted to support me and help me and like, kind of like live out these dreams that I wanted to do. And so, yeah, it was, I finished, um, the hoveling hundred in August of that year, um, and then that following, or sorry, in October of that year, basically October, November, and then August was that next 200 it was the first 200 I've ever, ever did. And, um, once again, didn't know anything about 200 mile races. That was a point to point race. And, um, I was like, oh, you know, they're going to have eight stations and they'll have everything I need. So I don't, these drop bag things I still don't need. I don't know what they are. Like I'm not going to do drop bags. And it was just a brutal mistake. Cause it was in, it was in the cascade mountains of, of Washington so there'd be days where it was hot days where it was raining. I mean, it took me hundred hours to do this 200 mile race. Um, you know, and, and I, and I finished and then, um, but I was basically wearing wet, sweaty clothes the entire time. Um, I didn't have a drop bag to the final 13 miles just cause I figured, Hey, maybe i want a dry shirt for the finish line. That's all I had. <laughs> um, and that, that was a brutal race. I, I, something like two, it's 200 miles. and I think it's 40,000 feet of vert. It's a lot. Um, and that was my intro to two hundreds, and I, I did that, and then three weeks, three three and a half weeks later, I had the Tahoe two hundred, so I didn't even recover, and I go do the Tahoe two hundred, um, and I don't know if you guys and the fifty miles sometimes they have cutoff times. Well, I got to mile one hundred and ninety two, and I got I made I missed the cutoff time, no way, so I yeah I, I didn't finish that two hundred, and then three weeks later I had the Moab two forty. And I was depressed because I didn't I'm like, I'm not going to be in the triple crown running like you get like an extra trophy if you finish all three. and Not many people had at the time. And I was bummed because I missed the Tahoe 200 cutoff. But I still went to Moab and I ended up finishing Moab, Moab 240 when um, that was three and a half weeks later. Um, so I still got to go back one day and f- officially complete the triple crown. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's where the 200 started. And from there, it was like. Maybe I'll get in the long distance swimming, and that's that's kind of what I moved on to next. Just to hit that
1: for timeline. Go for it. You, you, sorry, yeah, for timeline. You said all three. Of those, That was within like two months.
0: Yeah, so in August you do Bigfoot two hundred, and then three and a half weeks later you do Tahoe two hundred in September, and three and a half weeks later you do Moab two forty in October. So really. September, October, I can't even
1: imagine what your body went through. I kind of want to ask and Travis, if you got something else to let me know, but I kind of want to ask like, how did, you know, Travis and I always talk about when you like set a goal, you really can't just like chip away at it. Kind of, you know, linear yeah. progression, like in mileage, you're going to get there at some point, you know, it does, how did you go from like a 50 to a hundred to a 200 race?
0: Yeah. Well, for me, it was, it was a little bit naivety because I didn't, I did like, To me, I'm like, oh, all 100 mile races are the same. Like you finish one, you can finish them all. But I mean, the one I happen to do is a very friendly 100 mile race. It's not that, you know, hilly. Um, But to me, it was just like, hey, like I've kind of had the mindset if someone else can do it, then I can do it too. And so, you know, someone else has done the triple crown, like, hey, I can do it too. Um, You know, and and it was just like, hey, I I set the goal, the 50 mile race. I did it. Um, I'm content with it. But there is that like, what else is out there? Um, and that's how it was for me, but yeah, it is chipping away. But I think sometimes, uh, you know, you need to put yourself in this, in the position to fail because like some people, you you set goals, um, and a lot of people in those, they'll set a goal, but it's still within their comfort zone. Um, which is okay. You know, you, at least you're setting goals and that's great. And, and, you know, and you can be very successful doing that. And I think, um, when I was setting my goals at the time, it was like, I was in that comfort zone and I wanted to break out of it and create a new comfort zone for myself. And so that's why it was, Hey, I've done the 50 done. Like, let's go do a hundred and Hey, I've done the hundred. Like I'm comfortable with that. Let let me, I'm, that's my comfort zone. Now. Let me, let me set a goal outside that comfort zone. And yeah, and and I'm probably good. And and if, if failure is not likely, then in my mind, the goal is not big enough, you know? So I, and I did, I failed, I failed. I didn't finish the triple crown. I I did. I did. Uh, Bigfoot and I didn't finish Tahoe but then I finished Moab so the goal to me like yeah there was a chance of failure high chance of failure like not many people had done at the time it was my third ultra marathon like you know that first 200 so yeah there's a big chance I'll likely fail and you know I was able to get through the first one and the second one beat me up a little bit but I went to the third one anyway and and got it done but I think yeah like you know everyone and especially people like, you know, that went to the Academy or something like that, like you're used to setting goals. And, but I think you just set it a little bit outside your comfort zone. And if, if there's not a chance of failure, or if the, if the goal doesn't scare you enough, then I think the goal is not big enough.
2: Dude, how was, so how was your recovery? Like, how did you like, Oh dude, did you run? Did you like, no, what, no, what I, I didn't.
0: You? And at the time I was, man, I I was, I was actually partying a lot. Like that was kind of, it's, it's funny. If I look at my photos, you have a bunch of photos at Bigfoot 200. And then you have three weeks of photos of me in Pacific beach at shore club, like partying with friends. And then I go to Tahoe 200, you know, get 190 something miles and I get, you know, I don't finish the race. And then my buddies are going on pre-deployment leave, like, Hey, we're doing a Mexico trip. So there's a bunch of photos of me in Mexico, like doing shots of tequila and drinking beers and spearfishing. And, so I was terrible. I didn't treat my body well at all. And I, I mean, and, and that's probably why I didn't do well Tahoe to be honest. And, um, but recovery was, I mean, no, I, I didn't run at all between those races. I finished it and, you know, for a week, like a week after each race, was like, you know, minimal movement at all. Like, you know, just laying in bed, laying on the couch, feet up, you know, icing. Um, and I, like I said, I was, you know, didn't treat my body right. And I was partying a lot at the time and, um, but yeah, the recovery process, from that is like, you just don't do anything. I mean, I, I was, you know, I would, I think was biking a lot of the time. Cause I sold my trucks. So I was biking from Imperial beach to Coronado to get to work. Um, but other than that, I wasn't doing anything between those races. And then the next one just beat you up even worse. And it just compounded. And by the time I got to Moab, um, you know, I, I was the first, you know, I'd say most of that race, I just like power walk. I was, you know, shuffling like little jog shuffle power, walking up these Hills. And cause I was just so beat up. Um, and then when it was finally over, it was, I took a couple weeks off, a couple months off from running like hard.
2: I'm interested to hear about, like, I'm sure there were some dark times during the Tahoe and then the first 200, but like a Moab 240, I mean, 240 miles, like, I don't even know what your time was, but I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was ridiculous. Like, what was like the darkest time during that? And then how'd you get through that?
0: That race, you well. So actually the, the darks I'll kind of go in all three, the darks I ever had of all three of those races at Tahoe 200. And, um, and it was, it was, when I come to the conclusion, I'm not going to make the cutoff time. Like I'm going to get to the aid station and they're going to say, sorry, you missed the cutoff time. Um, and it was, uh, that was the dark side felt because it was, you know, I'd, I'd gotten that feeling like, Oh, when I, when I was, didn't make it through buds. Like I hadn't got that feeling, man, like I set this hard goal. Maybe I didn't attack it properly and things like that. But, um, but that, so that, you know, that where I failed that Tahoe 200, that gave me the motivation to finish Moab. Like I, there was other people that were entered in the triple crown that failed uh, Tahoe and then didn't even show up to uh, Moab 240. Um, But I knew right away, I was like, I got to show up and like make up for this, you know, terrible performance I didn't finish you know I was close I was really close um but then so that kind of you know gave me the motivation I needed to do well at Moab and then at Moab I, I had I dropped bags I had prepared I kind of read a couple blog posts from people who had done it and it was like okay I'm, I'm gonna do this race and um you know I did I did I did well um you know I, I finished it you know I was I, I mean I was towards the back of the pack but in the front of the pack of the people that I had done that were doing the triple Crown. Um, and, uh, but at that race, that was the first time I experienced a race that got like below freezing. It got below 32, um, degrees. And, and, uh, there's a part of the race where you go up to about 10,000 feet into the LaSalle mountains and all my water froze, like my, my hose to my, um, camelback was frozen. Like the whole bladder was, is just frozen. Um, I didn't pack micro spikes, just like an idiot. Um, so I was slipping and sliding cause there was snow up there. So there's snow once you got to about 10,000 feet. And so I was slipping and sliding through the snow. My, my water was frozen and, um, and, and I was really tired. Cause I didn't like, I didn't manage my sleep well enough. You take little naps here and there and I didn't manage it well enough. And it was the last day. There was probably about 50 K left, 31 miles left. And it was in the night. And I just knew I'm like, okay, I'm not going to not finish this race. And, and I just, I just made myself run. I was in so much pain, but I was, I made myself run. Um, and I, and that helped me stay awake and that, it was, it was brutal. Like, but it was, you know, you know, and I thought about the, you know, I thought about my time at Bud's and I thought about my time not finishing Tahoe and I was like, okay, I'm not going to let that happen again. I'm going to finish this race. And I did. And it was epic. And, you know, I had a pizza and a beer at the finish line and, and I, and it was awesome. Um, but yeah, man, that, that was the dark time. Um, the dark time in that race was, you know, frozen water bottle slipping and, you know, slipping through the snow. But just thinking, hey, I've had darker times than this. Like, you know, I've I felt worse than this when I didn't finish Buzz, or I felt worse than this when I didn't finish Tahoe. Like, this is fine. Like, I, I still have control of the situation I'm in. I'm gonna, like, you know, suck it up and I'm gonna finish this race.
2: Man, that's a uh, that's so savage. Um, I remember I saw some on, I think it was like Facebook or something like that. And you were doing uh, the Iditarod Trail. Yeah. And that's when I really started following like what you were doing. And I was like, mm-hmm. I think I was talking to my sister at the time. And I was like, dude, this guy is fucking losing it, man. He's he's a <laughs> lunatic. Like, <Yeah. laughs> he's going to go with, like a thousand miles or something like that. Yeah. I don't remember what it actually was. But um, yeah, can you just touch on the Iditarod Trail one? Because that one was like, yeah. to me, it was,
0: what the? so I had um, and this was like at the height of me really enjoying running and like kind of like, what else can you know you do in the sport of running? And I happened to get a, a runner's World magazine article that I saw, like a it was at a I'd gone to the doctor's. I'd gone somewhere where you there's just free me you know, magazines. and I runners World magazine, I took it and I flip it open. And um there was a photo of a guy um running in the snow, pulling a sled um, wearing like a big parka. And what is this? And the title just said, no dogs allowed. And then it would start to go talking about the Iditarod, which is a famous sled dog race. Um, you know, and it's, it's in Alaska and it's in the winter time and it's famous dog mushers mush their dogs, 1000 miles from, um, Anchorage, Alaska to Nome, Alaska. Um, and that's what it's famous for. And in 2000, they started to see if anyone can do it on foot. And there was a couple of races before that people like, Hey, can anyone do this on foot? And I read that article and I was like, that's what I'm going to do next. I want to do that. And um, so that was in 2017 and you know, I was doing other stuff in 2018, 2019. um, And that's when, so February of 2020 um, right before COVID had hit um, or a couple months before that, I was like, you know what? My roommate at the time had come down. um, We were living together and, um, uh, he, he was in the SEAL teams and he's like, you know, I, I really want to do something hard. And I'm, I'm like, I got it. Like, I know exactly what we can do. That's hard. Like, um, and I told him about the race. He's like, dude, like, he's like, I've never run an ultra. I'm like, yeah, but maybe we can, maybe we can get in the race anyway. Cause it's an invitational. And so I reached out to the race director and I said, Hey, look, man, like I've done a lot of ultra running and my buddy is a, is a SEAL and he's done a lot of winter war, like weather training, you know, you know, how about if we stick together in this race um, I have the ultra running experience. My buddy's, my buddy's got the cold weather experience. Like, what if we do this together? And, um, he's like, okay, here's my number. Give me a call. And I call him. The guy happens to be a Naval Academy graduate, the race director. <laughs> and so we have that in common. We start talking about that. And, you know, I, I, I tell him about all the races I've done. And I tell him about all the winter warfare training my buddy's done, which is actually, it was like, he'd done Alaska. In the summertime, it wasn't that cold. And so he didn't really have this winter war winter weather training. We were telling him the race director that my buddy had. And he's like, kind of like, yeah, let me let me debate. Like, let me think about it for a while. And two weeks later, he called us. He's like, yeah, you guys can do it. But you got to stick together. If one of you guys drops, both of you guys drop like that's it. You're out of the race. He's like, all right, sweet. So um, the first time you do it, you have to do there's a 350 mile version. And then there's a 1000 mile version. If you finish the 350, they'll invite you back the following years to do the 1000. So me and my buddy were signed up for the 350 mile version of this race. And um it's just uh we were, I mean, we we're so unprepared. Like, I mean, we we're training in San Diego, you know, <laughs> and everyone from the race is like, you know, from northern Canada, Alaska, Sweden, Norway, like Ireland, like people that like live in really cold places all the time are used to and and that race, there's no, there's no trail markers. Like, you just get A to B. Like, here's the start line. Here's the finish line. Get there. And so, you know, it came down. There was navigation involved. There was so much stuff involved, like, that we had no clue about. Um, we didn't even send food, like, extra food rations. And when we get to the Alaska, the race director comes up with us. He's like, hey, you guys didn't send any food rations. We're like, yeah, we, we packed it all on our sleds. He's like, how much do your sleds weigh? They were so heavy because we had all of our food in our sled. where Everyone else just sent. You can send it to, like, Locations along the trail ahead of time because it, it's just like a USPS. Like, yeah, they're really small villages in Alaska, but they have, you can send stuff there. We didn't do that. um Our sleds were massive, overweight, you know, just everyone else's was sleek and streamlined. We just looked like idiots out there. And, you know, we get to the start line, and the start of that race, the race is really cool. It starts at a bar in the middle of nowhere in, in this town called Nick, K N I K, which is just outside of Anchorage. You start at the bar. You get there at noon. People are kind of drinking beers. And me and my buddy took a shot of Jameson and we're like, "All right, like let's do this." We have no clue what we're doing. And the race guns went off. And my buddy had just broke his collarbone four month, or four weeks earlier, real bad. And so um, this race, you're mostly sleeping outside in tents and sleeping bags. And it gets down to negative thirty, negative forty, and in the year that year we did it, get down to negative fifty. Um, my buddy wasn't sleeping well; it was super uncomfortable. And to finish, in time, to finish in time, you have to get uh, um, 31 miles, 50 K a day in the snow and it, you're pulling your sled and everything that could go wrong, did go wrong. We had, all we had was plastic jeans. We should have had like metal thermoses, all our water froze. Um, our stove to cook our food, the, all the food that we had packed, the stove to cook it, it stopped working. So we were eating, like we were just biting into like bricks of food. Um, and it was just like, you know, it was miserable. Um, but we finished the race. We, we finished dead last, but I want to say 30 people started and 12 finished. We were, came in together. We were 11th and 12th. Um, and it was like, we, there was like, no, I couldn't believe we finished. It took us 10 days. Um, and it was just like getting to that finish line was like, and finally getting inside a nice warm place. Like we got, you finished at this, this town, little town called McGrath. That's the 350 mile finish. But I finished the race. And as me and my buddy go sit down to eat some pancakes, there's a guy walking downstairs. His name is Klaus. Um, he's, I, I didn't know him at the time. Um, and we're like, Oh, congratulations. You finished too. And he's like, no, no, I'm heading out. I'm, I'm doing the thousand mile race. And it right. My mind was blown. I'm like, dude, I just, I just survived 350 miles, like 10 days in the snow, negative 50 degrees. And this guy is about to go out and do 700 plus more miles, like blew my mind. And it, and it just so, and so then that planted the seed. Like, I got to come back and I got to do this thousand mile race. And, and my buddy's been like, never again. He's like, I'll never do that again. Um, he hasn't since I've been inviting him, I'm still trying to get him to come back out one day, but um, yeah, so it was just like immediately finishing that race. And like, I was, I was like, cool, I'm content, never gonna do an Arctic race again. And then seeing this dude come down, being like, yeah, I'm, I'm going, I'm going out. Like, we had just come in, we were like, you know, thank God to be inside. And here's this dude. He had a couple hours sleep, a couple pancakes, and he was heading back out. And it I was like, I gotta try that one day. And so that's where that's how I started doing the thousand mile. How long is that you like know
1: a, is it a thousand mile, like a month-long race?
0: You get a month, yeah. You get 30 days. Same thing, there's cutoff times. And if you're not at a certain point at certain time, like you're out of the race. And and that race is, I mean, like that I really like that race because like in my mind, that like there needs to be an element of risk now. Like, I, I want a little bit of risk, like. I feel comfortable in the hundred miles. Like I feel really comfortable there. I've done it a lot. Um, and so I I want a little, I wanted a little bit of risk and what I like about that race is like, they're basically like ready, set, go, see you later. Like they kind of, they logistically, they do a lot. Like they set up a couple aid stations in remote, really remote places that if they didn't set it up, there'd be nothing there for a hundred plus miles. Um, so they, they logistically, they set up a lot of stuff for you. Um, but they basically say like, if something goes wrong, you have to rescue yourself. Um, and, and the, so I, I've made it, I've attempted the 1,000 mile twice. Um, one time I got about 500 miles and um, my knee had swollen up like the size of a, like a watermelon. It was huge. And I, I just knew I couldn't go on anymore. Um, and that was the first time I was like, Oh, I, I got a drop. Like, and, but it was like, became, it was, it was, it had to be a safe decision. Like it, it wasn't safe for me to go on. Like Alaska is such a harsh environment, especially in those remote regions where you can go, hundred miles and not see another human or another structure or anything. Um, it just wasn't safe to go on, but I, to get back home, um, I had to help. I had to, I was, I ended up in a really tiny village, um, that had a school there and the school had 12 students from kindergarten to 12th grade, which is crazy to think about. Um, and this, the principal of the school, he saw me walking through the town. He came out, he's like, Oh, you're doing the race. I was like, yeah, but you know, I'm I'm kind of beat up. I'm um, I got to figure out how to drop. He's like, well, tonight you can sleep in the school. So he let me sleep in the school that night. He's a real small school building. And in the morning, uh, he's like, I'll take you to the, the community center. And um, I think there's an airplane coming in tomorrow. that's going to drop off some mail. Um, and if that plane comes in, you can get on that plane. Help, probably, you, the guy, the mailman might help you unload, might make you help him unload it, but he might fly you out of here. So uh, the next day I woke up from the school, the principal came in. He's like, hey, school's about to start. You got to leave. He walked me to the community center um the guy who's a kind of a, the local guy who's just in charge of mail was like yeah i in. i've been in touch with the pilot he's going to touch down in about two hours you know head over to the tiny airport so It's just a little I mean, it's not even an airport it's just a strip of land that did land on i helped him unload the plane and he flew me out of there that's so that yeah
2: you know. <laughs> so i'm guessing there's no maseratis in this race but no uh, no
0: dude like that is the harshest environment i've been in besides when i just did the ocean row um, like, but that, that, like, Alaska is so unforgiving. And, but it's the coolest thing about that race is, I mean, there's people that live in these remote villages. And when they see you, they are the night, like, they, because they know, because they know how hard it is out there. They know what it's like to be in that environment. And so they are the nicest people. They'll, they'll get you whatever you want. They're like, you want, they'll cook you food. There was one time, uh, cause I've done the race for, I didn't, we've done it four times. Um, There was one time i just like i see a bonfire in the middle of nowhere and there's these guys they're they're hunters they're bison hunters and they're just start they started to fire waiting like they're kind of going deeper in the interior to hunt bison but they were like you know they made me hot dogs they like traded me some socks I didn't have any extra socks and like i mean everyone there is like the nicest people they gave me moose jerky because i was like kind of running out of food until my next my next um like where my cash was of, of food um but that race yeah there's no maserati's man it's just like hard nosed people who like um i'm not one of them man those people are like tough and they are um like living out in alaska is like no joke and the people who do that race it would it would surprise you man there's like you know you like if if we were to race a 5k i'd probably beat 90% of them um in a you know or like a, some workout but like those those people are just tough tough as nails like the, the people who finish that race are older mountain men and women who are just like rugged man it's cool it's a cool environment to check out and you
2: so the second time around did you how far did you make it
0: the second time around i didn't get far at all i got about 150 miles and i got real sick i was just throwing up and um and you had to go over this there's a a pass there called rainy pass where you have to go up and over and it's about a i want to say it's a 40 mile section and I just knew I was like, I'm not going to make it if I go up and over this pass. And that's like, that's one of the most dangerous spots to be is going up and over the pass. Um, it's like real harsh. So you can get like it gets really cold and in really windy. Um, so that, you know, that, that goal, that, that, like, that's the goal that I keep setting for myself. Like I've done the 350 mile twice. I finished it twice, but the thousand mile is that's the goal. That's like right now is um, that's the one that's out of my comfort zone a lot and um you know i'm not i didn't go this year because i ended up doing the ocean row but i'll likely go next year um and uh i'll give it another shot and i'm gonna give it a shot until i finish that race man like that's that's what i'm gonna i'm gonna keep trying and and, and we'll see maybe maybe i'll never finish it but i'm gonna keep going back and give it a shot
1: i definitely want to get to the ocean row but i, I mean i just i gotta hear it from you like what what keeps you going back to that because i mean third like you know to To put yourself in a position where you're you're hopefully gonna go a thousand miles over thirty days, like sounds miserable. You're sleeping in the cold, yeah, eating crappy food for a month.
0: Yeah. But, so, so what keeps you going back? It's weird, man. It's like, and this was in you know we can get into it the road too, but it's it's honestly just the simplicity. Like you know, there, like you know, yesterday I had to go get my oil changed in my car. I had to you know run to the grocery store to get this stuff. I had to go to work. I had to do all this stuff. Like, but when you're doing something like that. You know your to do list becomes really small. It's like, you know, stay warm and you know, hydrate, eat your food, and walk. Like there's, I have four things on my to do list. Like that's it, you know. And and so it's honestly just the simplicity of it. And yeah, the food sucks and it's really cold. Um, but you know when I I finished the three hundred and fifty mile twice and I and I know what it feels like to get to the end of that. And like I said, I I don't reach some I didn't reach some eureka moment like ah, I feel enlightened. But I just I I I it felt good enough to me to want to come back. Um, because it is, I mean, like every, in, you can't predict anything in that race, like cause the weather dictates everything. And so you can go in with the biggest goal. Hey, I'm going to finish in eight days for the 350 mile race. And then next, you know, it's day 10 and you're, you're crossing the finish line. But what keeps me going back, honestly, is, is the community and the simplicity. Um, you know, there's nothing like, I mean, you don't get cell service, so no one's blowing your phone up. Like this, this just doesn't exist out there um you know your world is so becomes so small and um you know you, there's no outside noise you're not in grad school you know you know you're not still in the military like it's just like it, it's so freeing it's like such a free feeling um and it maybe there's probably a million other ways to get it and you know but for me it's just doing this race in alaska and getting away from everything and then just the challenge man it's it, it, no matter how many times i've done the 350 it's so hard like it's um and every time i just question why am i out here so it just helps me um you know I, like you know it, there's a phrase like adversity introduces a man to himself and that race st- stacks up so much adversity that you like every time i get to like, kind of know a little bit more about myself um and that's why i keep going back to race, and, I, and i'll always go back and do that race i love that race man it's it's hard but it, i love it
1: it's sick and it, i definitely I definitely resonate with that idea of like the simplicity of it. So, so, I mean, you said you don't have a phone out there. You're probably not listening to music or anything, right? Are you no. Much-
0: and well, and, and that, that's, a, I mean, Alaska is a dangerous place in the sense that there's wild animals that will kill you. Like, you know, so it's like, you kind of have to have your head on a swivel, uh, you know, and, and there's, there's just so much like snow, like you could, you're not paying attention. You could go, you could take the wrong way. I mean, I've, there's no trail markers. I've gone, I've gotten lost in that r- route so many times. You know, so it's like, you just constantly have to be paying attention and I bring music and if it's daytime, you know, I'll listen to it sometimes. But like, I mean, last year, my I, my Spotify stopped working like two days in, so I didn't even have any music or anything, you know? So it's just, um, but yeah, you, you need to have your wits about you at that race, which I kind of like, you know, you really have to pay attention. Um, and, uh, you know, and it, it's just epic, but yeah, it's, it, it's super, it's simple, man. I do like, imagine all the things that you had to do today in your, in your everyday life and shrink it down to three easy tasks and one of them is eating and drinking water, you know, so. We'll
2: have to, uh, we'll have to talk to Spotify about that. Yeah, <laughs> no, it music. pisses
0: me off. Happened to get on the road. I'm like, I'm going to for years, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely <laughs> hear about, the, yeah, what what you just completed. And, um, I mean, yeah, if you just want to jump into what you just did.
0: Yeah, Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, the, the running to me has been really cool and I, I really like it Um, and I like the idea to ride. And I I'd done some, I did a couple of bike rate, long, really long bike rides and in, in a long swim. And um, but years ago, I'd I'd read um, there's a, a magazine called um Adventure Journal. And I read an adventure journal. They had a uh section about this, you know, some like people had done some cool things back in the past. And they talked about this guy who'd rode across the Atlantic Ocean. And I'm like, rode a boat across the Atlantic Ocean. Like that like didn't make I've like, what? I'm like, like, was like, I just, I'm like, what kind of boat even, I didn't even know what an ocean rowing boat looked like or that they even was such a thing. And, uh, so I Googled it and I, I see this race, uh, this race called the Talisker whiskey Atlantic challenge. And it was, it was a documentary on these people rowing boats across the Atlantic ocean. And I was like, man, like, that's crazy. And I started researching it. I found that the boats are really expensive, like, man, there's like no way I'm ever gonna be able to do this. Like, not not right now, but it's always been in the back of my mind since, you know, 2018, 2019. And um, and you know, I I work now, um, I work on a on a large boat. And um I was I was on that boat and just scrolling through Instagram because I just finished my work day. Um, and, and I see that adventure adventure journal on their Instagram. They'd republished the article about the guy I'd wrote across the ocean. And I'm like, man, it's just I kind of popped up in my head again. I'm like, I gotta do that. Well, a few days later, um, cause I, I follow one of the, pretty much the only ocean rowing boat making company. I follow them on Instagram. And a few days after I saw that article about the guy that had rowed across the Atlantic ocean, they had posted something that, um, a team needed a final member because someone had dropped out of the race. So I was just like, man, like, this is crazy. I immediately applied and immediately I got an email back saying, yes, we can interview you. Can you in- do an interview next week? I was like, sweet. Like, yeah, let's do this. And the interview comes and I told them about everything I've done. And then they asked about rowing. And I told them I rode at the Academy, even though I've never rowed in my life. And then I told them that I spent a lot of time on the ERG, even though I spent no time on the ERG, but I really wanted to do this race. And they picked me. I couldn't believe it. Um, and so I only had a few months to prepare. And I really didn't even spend much more time on the ERG. Actually, we have an ERG on the big boat that I work on. And it's kind of like in an engine room, like real, like encapsulated space. And I went and I went and started to row on the erg, and I started to get seasick. So I got off. I'm like, oh shit! Like, what did I just get myself into? I could barely i on the erg. I just got seasick on a big boat. Like, how am I going to do on a really little boat at sea? And um, so I was like, I was nervous, and I I started to train. But like the way I train, I, I still I run all the time, and I lift weights, and I do jujitsu. And and I really didn't want to get on the erg. I just like for some reason I got. And I I, I read a book immediately when I got picked for the team um by this woman who had had row has rowed many she's rowed the pacific the atlantic and the indian ocean and she she rowed at oxford and in the book she talks about like how you don't really need to be a good rower like you don't need to be a traditional like river rower like flat calm water and she's like all the training she done on the erg really didn't matter so immediately i was like cool i'm not even gonna i'm not even gonna row on the erg and then um a couple like couple like two months go by. Cause I, I found out in October that I was going to be on the team. And then in January, it was, it was time to do the race. And so I showed up or sorry, I no, don't. And, um, in December it was time to do the race. So I found out in October and then in December it was like, okay, it's race time. So it's just a couple months. Great. And, um, I showed up there and I got to the boat, didn't even know where the, oar went in the water, how to stroke, do anything. But I, I have like, okay, in my mind, I'm going to fall back on all this experience that I've done with, you know, running far and doing the Iditarod and swimming far and all this. Um, and so we get to get to the race or get to get to a week before the race started or the row started. Um, we met as a team. I met everyone for the first time. They all had all met each other and knew each other, but I met the team for the first time. And, um, thankfully we were able to get on the boat for a week and we were able to get rowing. And I was kind of like, yeah, I haven't rowed in forever. And I just kind of like, kind of BS'd my rowing credentials and history. They're like, oh yeah, it's quick. Like, and I got, I picked it up like that. Like, so thankfully I picked it up. Um, and everyone was great. They were super like, you know, willing to help me figure out this rowing thing. And, um, and so what it is, is, um, when you cross the Atlantic ocean, most people start in the Canary islands, which is just off the West uh, coast of like Northwest Africa. Um, and then you row across the Atlantic ocean, um, to Antigua, which is an Island in the Caribbean, Caribbean sea that's 3000 miles. And, um, it's crazy because like, I mean, the boats are both 28, 29 feet long. Um, it's got like, you know, uh, I don't even know boat terms, man, but it's got like a little draft of like not high at all. You touch the water, you reach in and touch the water. Um, and it's got two cabins, a forward cabin and an aft cabin that fit three people very uncomfortably, like very tight fit. Um, so what, we have 12 people on our team. There's 12 people running across the ocean. We don't have a safety boat. There's no one following us. It's just us in that 28 foot boat. Um, you go to the bathroom in a bucket, um, you, you, you're super like, exposed and, um, you have six people rowing at a time and six people resting at a time. So you row for three hours and you rest for three hours. So in a 24 hour day, you're, you're going to row for 12 hours and you're going to rest for 12 hours, but it's like in the daytime, it's so hot. You can't sleep. The boat's moving around, it's hard to sleep. So in 24 hour period, me, I was getting about four hours of sleep in 24 hours. And I was doing 12 hour rowing shifts or total in that 24 hours three hours on, three hours off. And, um, I mean, we, it, we, we experienced everything that you would think it took us 44 days. Um, you know, we experienced, you know, massive 30, 40 foot waves, uh, you know, 40 knot winds, um, you know, just, just storm you know, rainstorms. Like you wouldn't believe like, just like, I mean, the, the darkest clouds rolling in, you're like, we're about to get hammered and there's nowhere to hide. And you, and you cannot run these storms. You're rowing so slow. I mean, there'd be times where we're rowing and going zero knots, like going nowhere, like just rowing, but the current is fighting against us or the wind's like blowing us in the wrong direction. And so it, honestly, physically, it wasn't that hard, like, cause you're rowing at a very slow stroke rate because you're rowing for 12 hours in a 24 hour period. So you're rowing at a really slow stroke rate. And so physically it's not hard, but mentally it is draining. Um, it's some of the most boring times you've ever had because like you're on the ocean 360 horizon line is just blue. The sun, like everything, it's just so boring. there's no wildlife at times. Um, but then all of a sudden it, it picks up real quick. And, you know, you get real scared because those big waves start rolling in and you know, there's nowhere to hide. So it's mentally it, it's just draining. It's so draining.
1: Yeah, I have so many questions about that. I don't know if Travis, you can go first.
2: Yeah, I actually have a kind of a wild story and it I didn't realize that this is what it might be. When, so Back in 20, I think it was 2019 or 2020, I was on a submarine and we would go down to like Bahamas, do a bunch of training and we'd like kind of go Caribbean and all that. And we came up and we were just like clearing the broadcast and I was on the periscope and I look out and there's, I didn't realize that it was one of those like cross Atlantic boats until seeing your post Uh and Like now, looking back on it, I was like, I remember looking at it and like looking at the captain. I was like, "Yo, there's a, there's a, there's a rowboat out here." (laughs) We're like, we're like six hundred miles from anything. Yeah. And he was like, "No, there's not." And I circle back around and I was like, "No, like, sir, I think, I think there's a rowboat out here." And he gets (laughs) on. He's like, "Oh shit! All right, yeah, there's a rowboat out here." Yeah, which I'm guessing it was that or some sort some similar, of some sort of I
0: mean, like if you're in the if you're in like Bahama, the Caribbean area like that, that is like the, the people just started rowing the Pacific, but the Atlantic crossing has been like a popular. I mean, there's not many people that have done it. There's not like I mean, it's I mean, unless they climbed Everest, but like, it's like, yeah, if you, if you like that's where the rowboats are like when there's a rowboat crossing, yeah. it's usually the Atlantic and it's usually they're gonna end in the Caribbean Bahamas somewhere like something like that.
2: That was, that was a nutty experience seeing that. And I thought for like days after that, I was like, yeah, I just saw stuff. I was like hallucinating, but yeah, it's it's good to hear that people actually do it. So Pat, what'd you have?
1: Uh, I guess I don't even know which one to ask first. I guess first, yeah, you talked about like these big waves rolling in, storms rolling in, like wildlife, like how, how many times were you like scared for your life where you thought, was there times where you're like, I could die right now?
0: Yeah. So going into the race races, you know, when you go into something that you don't know, and I'm you guys have experienced this, like that's when you kind of build up the most fear, like in your head. Um, and like, you know, like, Oh, what's going to happen when the big waves come or what's going to happen when there's lightning, you know, going to, what are we going to do? Like, what am I going to do? Like, I, you know, people, they, people do die. People have died. They've fallen overboard and they've died, you know, and it's, it's tragic. And, um, you know, you hear the stories and you, you hear about the cap cause boats capsize and guys are in life rafts for a few days until they get rescued. And you know, like, okay, what if that happens when, when we're in the middle of the ocean, The like coast guards not coming, you know, it's gotta be some passing, passing ship. Like what if there's no passing ship, all these things are going through your head before you take off. And so, you know, the most afraid I was during this whole time was probably the lead up to the race, like lead up to the row. Me and, you know, some of these people on my team had been preparing for a year and they knew they were going to be on that team for a year. For me, I only had a couple months to like all that stuff to go through my head, so it was kind of just like, oh, here we go, like here I am. But yeah, like so that f- the first night that we had big waves, I, we ca- I got lucky uh, during my crossing that we had like very calm weather for the first week and a half. And I don't want to say calm; it's every day got a little bit worse, but just like a little bit worse. So I was kind of building my sea legs, like as so to say, you know. And so it just got a little bit worse every single day. And about the week and a half is when we finally got some big waves rolling in like 20, 20 footers, you know, and and when you get in the trough and then it's like double overhead and you're like, wow, like that's, that's scary. And it picks your boat up real quick. And it's a lot, I mean, you have no say in what happens right now. Like that boat is going to get picked up and it's going to take it where the wave wants to go and where the current wants to go. Um, But it, it was weird. I found myself smiling. Like I found myself going like, this is the moment that I've been building up in my head. Like, here it is. I'm finally here. Like, and it's, you know, I'm like, this is the moment I've been waiting for, you know, when I first heard about this race, that's what kind of crossed my you know, back in 2018, when I first read about it, that's what I thought about, you know, it was like, you know, what, what do people do in these big waves? And so I've been, that's kind of been in the back of my mind for forever. And now it's, I'm facing it and I'm like, oh, it's not that bad. It's scary. It's definitely scary. Um, but you have to row, like you have to row, you can't not row. And so I was like, okay, I have a task to do. And that goes back to like, Hey, when you have a task and you have something that's keeping you busy. Yeah. I'm afraid. I'm like, I'm definitely afraid, but I know all I got to do is row. We're all, we're, we're all wearing leashes. We're like kind of like tethered in for safety, you know? And like, I mean, that doesn't matter. You can, if you capsize, like, yeah, you're leashed to the boat, but that boat's flipped over. Um, But yeah, I mean, I was, I was definitely afraid. And then, but like, you know, and thankfully we got 20, 30 footers or 20 footers, and that built in the thirty footers maybe a week later, and that built in the thirty five and close to forty footers like two weeks after that. So it was just like I got a slow introduction into how strong the ocean can be. Um, there's been times where people left and the first day they're just in terrible sea conditions and they're seasick, and I never got seasick thankfully. People on the boat did, and but I kind of credit that to that that easy like build up into the into the bad weather. But um, yeah, man, it's you you see some of these waves and you're like, holy shit, like that's a lot of water and it's moving really fast and it's, it's scary. And, um, but you know, you just, you kind of, you, you, you can't do anything. You just row. So you're like, well, here I am. I can't run and hide. I can't go find land. I can't do anything. like I'm, I'm in the moment right now. And it's a moment that I've kind of been wanting to feel for many years. So it's like nothing to do but smile and be cool. Here I am. Like, how am I going to react?
2: That's it. That's a great question yeah that goes back to the simplistic mindset that about the uh the thousand mile race yeah it's just like you have the task at hand and you just got to accomplish it yeah oh. that's awesome
1: um, another thing i'm a little bit curious about too is just like life in the boat i mean how did you guys kind of like build uh camaraderie i mean i know yeah, I camaraderie but like how did you guys kind of keep from going insane
0: oh dude like you know it's like, when i say it's boring there's times where it's just so boring and like I was only, I was, well, there was me, I was like the only American, uh, there was an, uh, another girl, um, uh, she became an American citizen uh, a couple of years ago and she was awesome. She was a great rower. Um, but, um, you know, so there's, there was, there's a little bit of, um, uh, cultural difference, just a little bit. So that kind of made it weird to like assimilate to like some of the things that they were talking about. Um, you know, and, um, it was also, but like you be, you became so close because dude, all modesty goes out the window. Like when I say you go to the bathroom, like you shit in a bucket at the back of the boat, but you're next to other people rowing. Like, it's like, there's no hiding. You know, we had guys and girls on the team, you know? And like, you get like, and this, I mean, like yeah, this is gross, but like, you get like salt sores everywhere. You're constantly covered in salt water and you're sitting down for 12 hours a day. So your ass gets like these like welts and sores on them because like, you're just grinding on this on this rowing seat for 12 hours and you know it's the only comfortable way to sleep is sleep naked because like you're just so hot and sweaty and you're in your little coffin you're in this like little spot you have your own area you know kind of but like not all modesty immediately like two days goes out the window like you know the first day people are trying to cover up after that it's like dude screw this like you all saw me take a shit like you know like everyone is here right now like it's a 30-foot boat that's like Five feet wide, four feet wide. Like you, there's nowhere to hide, you know. So the camaraderie is built like that. Right? Like so, you know, and and you know, you're just, you, you know, you're sharing food with everyone. Like you, you know, like everyone kind of like, hey, like I'll boil the water, you get the food out, and you know, you like you take care of our our rain jackets type thing. So everyone kind of like is like helping out in this, um, and you know, and they immediately become your family. Like like I would. If any of them called me right now and like, let's get a beer. Like I would go like, they're just like, they become so close because you're in, in you're such, you're in such a harsh environment, the ocean, you know, you're, it's uncomfortable because it's hot and you're covered and there's, in the day. It's really hot. And at night you're getting poured down in rain. It gets cold. And, you know, like, you, you know, you're going to the bathroom from everyone, you know, you're, you're sharing food. Like it just, like it, it's such a weird little environment um, that f- forces friendships, really quick. And all, I mean, we, 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 you know, people butted heads, like, you know, um, we would fight over food, like, Hey, like, you know, cause you're eating really boring, basically mountain houses. Um, if you guys know like mountain houses, like just like re dehydrated food and everyone has the same, you know, but one, all of a sudden one team might break into the locker a little bit early and get new. Like everyone's been eating five bean cast and they just open it and they got, you know, meatball marinara. So you're like, you know, screw you guys. And it's like, you know, creates a fight, like, Hey, give some of that ours. And like, no, it's ours. And it's just like, it, cre- it creates a little fighting between the cabins. Um, and, uh, but yeah, man, like the camaraderie in that is, hey, and it, I mean, it's like, you know, like there's a lot of risk in that. Like people can die. Like, so it's like you're really counting on them to row and you're really counting on them to when things go wrong, like, you know, our water maker broke and our captain was able to fix it. Thankfully. And like, obviously we need our water maker. Um, so it's just you you put all this trust in these people that you just met um and uh and they're putting trust in you too it's a team you know it's not like you know we, we have to equally trust each other and and I think that's what made us so tight but at the end of the I mean like we got to the finish line and it was just like so relieving and you know their families are there to meet them and you want to meet their families because like you had such a good time with them and they were so good to you and um it just created this you know and took 44 days but now i'm like family with all those people
2: so so for food it was all dehydrated food yeah
0: yep yes you boil water and then heat it up bring breakfast lunch and dinner like all of that and it's the same thing every day wow <laughs> That's
2: um, insane, man.
1: yeah <laughs> i mean I'll, i'm curious and this is probably an obnoxious question but knowing you like uh, you probably have, might already
0: have an answer. What what what's next? Yeah, man, it's um, I it's funny. Like I'm I'm back at work, and wh- there's no way going to give me any more PTO. They've given me so much PTO over the years. Um, <laughs> so I have a couple of things in mind that I'd like to do, and you know, it's, you know, I've kind of um, I love my job, and I'm I'm gonna you know kind of figure out what's next moving forward with that. But I you know, and it's, I've kind of become. Comfortable in the job I'm doing, and then I, you know, I, I'm gonna figure. I have to figure out what's next with that and moving forward. But like, I, I really want to run across the United States. um I think that's like doing the, the Trans Trans America. I think is like a big, big thing in running. um I don't know when I'll be able to do that, but I, I'd like to do that next. And I got to figure out how I can get the time off of work, um and then I, I'd also like to. I'd like to bike back. I think it'd be cool that if you run across and then bike back and. And, and over the years, I, every time I do these races, I, I raise money for Guardian Revival, which is this nonprofit organization. So like that that kind of gives me the motivation to do these things. Like maybe I got to do something a little bit bigger to get, you know, people to get behind it, to donate money, because that's why I'm doing it in the first place. But, you know, that that's kind of what's next for me is I, I'd like to do, you know, run across the country, maybe ride a bike back, um, some long distance bike races and, and not even races anymore, but just like you know, there's these really long trails throughout the world. Like, Hey, how about I just go do those? And it's not a race anymore, but it's just like more of like a, you know, exploring who I am as a person. And and I, and I like the idea of kind of doing solo events now. Um, Eventually I would, I would like to row the ocean solo and um, people do that solo, not on a team and just be, you know, everything you're, everything is relying on you. You can't say like, you know, Hey John, can you help fix this? It's just like, no, it's, me by myself. Like so I the idea of doing some some solo events, you know, when I've gone to Alaska in the past, besides that first race, I I've been solo. Um, but you see other races out there and you walk with other racers or you run with other racers. So it's um but I'd like to do something in the future where it's you know kind of just everything depends on me. every, you know, if I fail, it's on me, it's totally on me. And if uh, I succeed, then it's on me. And if I can't fix the problem, then it's on me as well. So, you know. But but the run right now, I think is across the country is what I think is next. I don't know when I'll do that. Hopefully, I can do it next year or something like that. But maybe sooner. Who knows?
1: That would be that would be sick. I don't know if you've been following along. with A guy named Paul Johnson. He's uh he's active duty Navy and he's getting ready to try to do it in like forty days.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I don't. I won't do it that fast. I don't run fast anymore. But yeah, that that's moving. <laughs> that's,
1: that's kind of actually. something I do want to ask you. I mean, it sounds like you're definitely on like kind of the the you know, trying to go further bug, like, you know, do you have, do you have any itch to try to go faster in any of these types of races or is it kind of just distances,
0: distances? You know, I was, I, I've always from wrestling, I've always enjoyed lifting weights. I've always like, you know, I I mean, I wanted to have a, I want a big bench and I want a big squad and I want a big deadlift and, you know, it's not conducive to running fast. Um, and, and maybe in the future I, I'd like to, to, go faster, but right now it's, it's more going further and, um, and, and maybe doing it longer than other people can. Maybe they can do it faster, but I can, in my mind, I like to be able to go longer, go farther. Um, but yeah, like, it's funny. I, you know, my, uh, my first hundred mile race is this race, hopefully in a hundred, I've done it twice. Um, and my girlfriend just did it and she beat my best time. So it's like, maybe I should start to train to go a little bit faster. That's funny.
2: Uh- yeah. You mentioned earlier Guardian Revival. I'd, I'd love, uh, you know, just seeing all the stuff that you've done and the fundraising you've done for Guardian yeah. Revival. I'd love if you could just speak on Guardian Revival for a little bit and just tell us what it's about.
0: Yeah. So they're um, a nonprofit organization. Their headquarters is in New York. And uh, I met them, I met the founder through a mutual friend of mine, uh, a Navy guy, and, and he's a, a Coast Guard Academy, sorry, Merchant Marine Academy graduate. Who ended up going um and became a seal and, and him and I became friends and um he started this nonprofit and uh I was and it was right around the time that I was gonna race in Alaska and I was like I wanted to do something not just do it for me like I didn't want people to be like, oh yeah, you know, you're running doing Alaska, that's cool, man. Like I kind of wanted to put a meaning behind it and I and I raised some money in the past for uh foundations and doing races. And I was like, you know what? Like I, I know this guy and he's just starting out this nonprofit. And what I like about them is is they're, um, they're veteran and first responder focused um, and they focus on, on mental health issues. And And I don't know if you guys, you know, like you see it throughout your military career, people like especially veterans transitioning out of the military, a lot of them, um, you know, and it, it's become a taboo topic to talk about, but is their mental health and they're just not doing great and, um, you know, and and they don't maybe know who to ask to help. And sometimes, you know, the VA does a great job, but um, there's organizations out there like guardian revival that focus on mental health through things like outdoor recreational therapy with through music therapy, through canine therapy. And what guardian revival does is, you know, um, and this is why I fundraise for them is cause like they'll do things like give, they'll give a veteran or a first responder a dog um, and they'll pay for the first year of, you know, vet b- bills and training and in obedience and all this stuff. And, and um, just kind of find different ways to combat people that are struggling with their mental health. Um, and so I, I've, you know, thankfully over the years, been able to fundraise for them and have and raised uh, a couple hundred thousand dollars, um, to, to help them out. And, um, and it's just like, that's kind of given me the motivation to continue doing things. Um, and, and I love supporting them and, and I've seen firsthand them help people who are really, you know, um, maybe down, but not out. And, and now they're, they're, you know, they've finding things that help them, whether it's outdoor recreation or, or whether it's music and, um, um, it just like, to me was, it's cool to see firsthand them actually like, I I've seen the difference in people that, that they're helping. And, um, so just, I, I, just really like what their, what their mission statement is and what, what values that they have. And, um, you know, and, and so, and I just, I'll just keep helping them and, and they just, and it was cool because I, I don't know, like I kind of helped start this, uh, they have a champion series now, um and it's basically anyone doing races or whatever, like, you know, you know, it could just be a 5k, but you know, you reach out to them and like they'll set up a fundraising page for you. And, um, they've created, you know, through, through their champion series now they've raised over a million dollars and that's huge. Um, so, uh, it's cool that they're kind of, they're supporting at, you know, they'll send you a t-shirt and they'll send you uh, you know, a couple of stickers and, you know, and and they just do great. They'll help you out a little bit and, and you know, you help them out a lot and, uh, and it goes a long way because they've helped so many veterans and first responders now uh, dealing with mental health. And it's, like I said, it's a taboo topic that a lot of people don't want to talk about, but you know, it plagues a lot of military members and, you know, you, you, might see it as, as, you know, the further you kind of get out of your military service, you see it with your friends and people that you might never expect to be affected by it might be. And um, a lot of times they don't know where to turn to. So foundations like Guardian Revival is a great place to look at.
2: Yeah. Awesome this is my uh i'm running the boston marathon this year it's yeah first first time first, first time fundraising for a race and it really does give a different uh sort of appreciation for it like you know you know the personal endeavor of running the race is awesome and like that's that's one challenge but also uh, the other challenge of like raising money and yeah. raising money for a good cause definitely it, it definitely it definitely is pretty cool and it Makes you feel good that the money's going towards something good. So exactly, and I
0: and and I don't know if you find this, but I had to, the first time I was doing, it, I kind of had a hard time. Like, um, I don't want to say like marketing it, but like I felt like kind of it's it's hard to ask people for money. Like it's a weird thing to do, right? Um, and even when you're tying it to such a like you know a, an amazing organization or an amazing cause, it's like that it, asking for money is tough, and it's not for you, but it's for like a, an organization that does great things. Um, but I did a swim, a charity swim. And I did like very little, I don't, I guess I'll call it marketing for it. And one of the other swimmers was just like, why? And I was kind of like, Oh, I was embarrassed to post about it. He's like, well, it's not for you. It's for them. Like, you know, and he kind of like gave me a, like, a, like a wake up call. Um, and ever since then, man, like I, I fundraise as hard as I can. I make a million phone calls. I'll make a million posts, you know, even if it's, you know, maybe people find it annoying, but I don't care. Cause I'm going to ask again and again and again. And, you know, maybe someone finally donates some money and that's cool. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I, you know, I guess if I were to give any recommendations for fundraising, it's like, dude, call everyone and everyone, call the radio station, call the newspaper, like send your link to everyone you can, like, and, uh, you know, people will donate and it's cool. And then you, you'll you get, I mean, for me, I always get the donor list and it's like, I haven't talked to that person since seventh grade. Like, that's wild. <laughs> and like, how yeah. cool is that that they, that they kind of saw what I'm doing and I think it's cool. And I think Guardian Revival is even cooler and they're going to donate money. Like, it's awesome. I love it.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely cool reaching back out to the ones that I see that donate on there. And I'm like, Yeah, yo, dude, I haven't talked to you in four years. What's up, man? Like yeah. I really appreciate it. And then just yeah. keep, catch up with them. So
0: well, I'll I'll actually be at Boston this year. So I'll have to keep my I'm not running it, but uh my girlfriend, she she's qualified, she's running it. Um, and so I'm gonna go. I'll, I'll be out there. And then one of my best friends, um, his wife's running it and she's fundraising. Uh she gotta she'll be fundraising. So I'm gonna go out there this year. So we'll have to link up but, if you can.
2: Absolutely, man. Absolutely, sick.
1: And we're, uh, I guess we're probably kind of wrap up here in a little bit. Um, but yeah, we're, dude, we're 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 trying to get back out of the Grand Canyon this year and trying to get a, a group together to do it. So,
0: oh, dude, let me know. I'm, yeah. i you know, I, I love going out there. So if you got honestly, I, I would do it again. I loved it. I love doing rim to rim to rim. I think it's awesome experience and uh, it's cool when you introduce people in the running too. Maybe like you know, getting people that have never done it before that you know that's, that's their goal that you know is is scary to them. So that's cool. That's the goal. We're yeah
2: what we'll to work on getting you some P- more PTO
0: yeah dude yeah yeah I gotta talk to my 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 boss <laughs> yeah
2: I
1: said give me his number we'll, we'll start working on it yeah definitely um I kind of have a couple like you know r- wrap-up questions around yeah. like tra- training and some other things Travis I don't know if you if you have any too I can kind of just start us off you're good Go uh, for. yeah i'm I'm curious about kind of what like a weekly training looks like when you're maybe like now when you're not like super race specific like what do you what do you like to do to train?
0: Yeah. So like right now, my current schedule is I, uh, I I wake up and, and thankfully my work has a, has a really nice gym. Um, so I I go to work and I I usually get there around six 30 and I'll run or do some cardio for an hour, but I do really slow, like zone two cardio all the time. I don't really run faster or or push it hard anymore. Um, so do zone two cardio, whether it's a run or bike for about 45 minutes to an hour. And then I lift weights after that. Um, and then at, at lunch, I, I usually go. Thankfully, the right next to my work is a yoga studio, so I go to yoga at, at lunch from twelve to twelve forty-five, and and I try to stay flexible. And then um, in the evenings, I, I either go to wrestling practice. I, I I purposely got my apartment right next to this like MMA gym, and I'll go to wrestling practice. I'll go to jujitsu and and uh, get beat up because I think that's good for you. Um, so yeah, my, that's my typical schedule. Is it's like you know usually an hour of real slow cardio um, an hour of weightlifting also real slow. I, I'm not, I don't do Metcons or anything like that anymore. I just lift weights and, you know, and I don't know if you guys remember Cliff Duman, but I still do Cliff Duman's weight training program. Uh, you know, he, and people who don't know, he was a strength coach at Navy. I actually just saw him at a wedding. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's, um, you know, real slow runs, real slow lifts with like, you know, two minute breaks between, between sets. And then, uh, yoga at lunch and then, uh, like some sort of martial arts in the evening. I love that.
1: I, uh, I'm, I'm so I, When I played, a, when I played at Navy, uh, I was like, you know, a deep alignment. lineman, I weighed 300 and, you know 15 pounds and, but I, I've grew up, like, lifting weights. Like, that's always been, like, my first love. Like, I love running now, but I can't, like, I, I really, I mean, I just, I still love lifting. And I think yeah. sometimes I, I always, like, think I'm, like, man, this is a somewhat counterproductive. You know what I mean? I'm, like, right I now definitely. I'm trying to run a faster marathon, but, like, so why am I over here, like, putting 225 on the bar, like, you know, benching right now? Yeah. But it's what keeps me sane. So. I'm <laughs> here,
0: dude. That's That's exactly how I feel about it
1: hearing that you did it that's, i'm doubling down i'm i'm that good you, man yeah <laughs> concurrent
0: training it's it's good man it's good for you i swear that's what's up um
1: i guess uh i kind of want to ask about recovery protocol too it sounds like you know you like to uh you know do yoga and stay limber yeah. that way. um so the other thing i'm curious about is after like especially after this uh 44 days at sea but in any of these races, what's like your first meal that you crave or, or what? Oh, dude,
0: it it's, it's always either a pizza or a burger. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I've slowed down. I, I used to party pretty hard, but it could usually a beer too, um, beer as well. Um, but, um, yeah, for recovery of that, man, it's like and, I, and that's kind of, it's funny after, after a race, it's always like a burger or pizza and then dairy queen in a beer. I, I love like a, a massive blizzard from dairy queen. Um, mm-hmm but uh yeah recovery it's become as i'm getting older i'm 33 now i'm not like not old but i'm getting older you know and um you know recovery becomes like a real thing like that you need to focus on when i was 25 i could get up after a hard night of partying and working out and still go work out again and and i just can't do that anymore like i used to and so it's like you know i bring my theragun everywhere and Theragunning and I'm rolling out and I'm trying to do yoga and I try to go to bed early and wake up early and drink a ton of water and take my vitamins. And it's just like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like, there's people that are like really like strict about it. And, you know, I would say like 80% of the time I'm pretty strict with my diet and my sleep. And then 20% of the time I, I, you know, I go out and have fun still. And I, you know, and eat pizza and, you know, drink a beer every once in a while and have a burger. And, but, you know, I, I think recovery as you know, we start to get older, it becomes actually really important and, um, you can't get around it anymore.
2: Yeah, totally agree. I'm doubling down on working out and enjoying life. So, yeah,
0: man, that's what it's all about, man. Like it's supposed to be fun too. Like if, if, you know, I, it, it's fun, like, you know, if it wasn't fun, I wouldn't do it. And, um, so yeah, double down on, on working out and enjoying life. And, you know, it's, you know, kind of burning the candle at both ends, but then that's, you know, that's what life's for, I guess.
1: So, so, Travis, you got anything you want to? Any final questions?
2: I mean, I I would just like to address that. Keith sent us a list with. I mean, we we touched on we touched on a good amount of it, but there was, I mean, there's, Scrub America Bike Race. Um, there's a couple of the hundred milers is a nine nine eleven Trail Bike Ride, which is 1100 miles in 14 days. Um, I mean, there's like we could probably talk to there's a 16 mile ultra swim, which we didn't even talk about that. But I mean, the the fact of it is that you're a savage man and like your, your mentality and what you have accomplished is incredible. And this has been like a a joy to have you on and talk to you about it. Cause I, I, I I here for like a couple hours, just hearing the stories about all these races and I'm sure everybody else could too. So
0: we appreciate it. Yeah, dudes. I, I honestly, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I love talking about this stuff and if, and if one person listens and they're like inspired to go run a 50 K then like, hell yeah, man. And who knows what that'll lead to. Maybe they'll be doing the triple crown before they know it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad, uh, you know, Travis knew you from the Academy and, um, made this connection. Cause it's definitely kind of, you know, I've been, I started recently looking at some more races and it's definitely just a little more of a fire to figure it out. And, uh, right on yeah i'm pumped i'm pumped to like see when you end up doing race across america because
0: yeah.
1: i think that's been a really cool like thought recently and um like the long bike rides too um it's just that that's something i've been like thinking about lately too so you know w- once you sign up travis i'll have to meet you somewhere in like korea yeah, definitely It's really sick
0: yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, I do this stuff for Guardian revival and my goal on that, on that race or that run across the country is to meet as many veterans and first responders as I can. So it'd be awesome to link up somewhere and, you know, maybe we'll do a second podcast or something like that.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks for, we'll, we'll, we'll post, uh, you know, um, about Gardner revival and, uh, appreciate you telling us about them and yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming on, dude.
0: Yeah. Thanks dudes. And anytime, man, I'll always chat about this stuff.
2: Appreciate it, Keith. Yep. Later dudes. Hi dudes. Later, ma'am.